Now, our next question is, in a video called Who Made God on the YouTube channel, Edgar Andrews, Professor Andrews, you stated, my purpose is to promote a positive worldview, a positive understanding of life in the universe and everything. And that positive understanding is an understanding based squarely on the Bible. In the last question, you explained why theism explains reality more proficiently than atheism. Now, Professor Andrews, let's address biblical theism or the biblical worldview specifically. Why should the Bible be taken seriously? The first thing I want to point out is that I recognize that there is a certain incoherence in a theistic worldview because theism is a kind of umbrella. Under that umbrella shelter a number of conflicting belief systems. The, the Jew is a theist and the Muslim is a theist, but that's where the similarity stops. Judaism, Islam and Christianity are uh, in conflict over many aspects of truth. And therefore, a theistic worldview has to be a very broad brush view, which is not in itself self-consistent. And so you are forced, whether, whether you're a Muslim or a Christian or a Jew, it doesn't matter, or anyone else for that matter, uh, you are forced to move on from a theistic worldview to a belief system that is under the umbrella of theism, but is nevertheless much more specific. Uh, in a sense, you can't live a theistic worldview. You can, you've got to find a belief system which in itself constitutes a worldview, which is self-consistent, which um, corresponds to human experience, which explains the human condition, which is in many ways revelatory which shows you something of the God of theism, what kind of a God, in fact, is your theistic worldview going to, going to appeal to. And I find the biblical worldview is, is extremely consistent. Uh, there are a number of characteristics. First of all, the biblical worldview is based firmly on revelation, a revelation which I say, Christians say, is embodied in a written form in the Bible. And that revelation is, is, is fundamental because we wouldn't actually know anything about Jesus Christ if it were not for the scriptures. If there were no, no Bible, no Old Testament, no New Testament, then we would only have one or two scraps of history to tell us of this person who would certainly not tell us what his teaching was. But the Bible is an amazing book, really, because although 
there are 66 books in it, written by a, a wide variety of people uh, over a, a wide range of time, something like 3,000 years probably. We have nevertheless a consistent narrative. And as you read through the Old Testament with New Testament eyes, you discover there that much that is um, that comes to to view historically and, and and spiritually in the New Testament is anticipated in the Old Testament. There are direct predictions, but there are also many many types and figures, pictures which illuminate the Christian gospel. The Jews, of course, subscribe to the Old Testament, but they can't understand much of that Old Testament because it can only be understood in the light of the New Testament. And it is an amazing thing that, and it's not 66 different authors, but, but 66 books written by a, a whole range of different authors, uh, should have a single testimony that points to a Christ who was due to come, a Christ who was going to save his people from their sins, a Christ whose, whose death and atoning work is described in, in great detail in Isaiah chapter 53, uh, nearly 800 years before Christ ever came into this world. So that's the first thing, there is, is, a, is a tremendous consistency in the revelation of the Bible, which gives us great confidence in its veracity and in the fact that, as the Apostle Paul says, it is God-breathed. In other words, it's not, it's not the invention of man, it's not even man trying to work out what God is like and, and what they should do to please God. Uh, it, it's, it's something that comes from above. And um, the psalmist, David, he wrote most of the psalms, not all of them, um, and he calls himself the sweet psalmist of Israel. And he says, the spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was in my tongue. And that's a beautiful statement of inspiration, uh, of the, the, the way that the scripture is not the invention of man is not man's attempt to understand God. It, it is God's revelation of himself. And that revelation comes to fulfillment, of course, in the person of Jesus Christ. And um, the letter to the Hebrews begins uh, that God, who at, at different times in various ways, spoke to our fathers by the prophets, meaning the Old Testament prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Uh, I missed out a bit. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Now, th those, those things are, uh, that's a beautiful statement of the way in which God's final words to mankind have come to us in the person of 
and through the work of Jesus Christ, to which the New Testament bears testimony and which the Old Testament predicts. So I, I find that the Bible gives me an enormously satisfying worldview. And now, Professor Andrews, we've actually come to our final question. In the last question, you spoke about how the moral implications of a Darwinian worldview. And in an article entitled, Who Do You Think You Are?, you wrote, If we're God's creation, made in His image, as the Bible claims, that we have a relationship with God that we cannot ignore. For those in our listening audience, Professor Andrews, how can we come into a loving relationship with God? I think, if, if I may, the best way to answer that question, at least to begin with, is to give my own experience, my own testimony. I was not brought up in a Christian home. It wasn't anti-Christian, it was just completely neutral. We never went to church and uh, uh, we never read the Bible, we never talked about God. It was simply a practical atheistic home, even though it would have been, my parents would have been horrified if, if you'd said that to them. But we had no dealings with God, no, we had no thoughts of God, no conversation about God. Um, and they certainly never darkened the doors of uh, a church. And at my secondary school, I, I, I never looked at the Bible until I got to secondary school, which is 11 plus. And there we had uh, lessons in what was called religious instruction. And so I had to, um, I had to get, get a Bible and I had to uh, uh, attend these these classes on religious instruction. But the, the Bible remained a closed book to me and the religious instruction classes didn't help at all. I remember once asking the teacher uh, a, a very simple question about the text of the Bible, why some words were in italics and the reason is they're not there in the original, they've been put in in the translation. <clears throat> she hadn't a clue. She had no idea. Uh, she couldn't answer my question. And uh, perhaps as a result, although I usually came very near the top of the class or at the top of the class in every, every other subject in religious instruction, I was always at the bottom of the class. I just could not get my head around the Bible. And that was my position uh, when I came into contact in my teenage years when I was when I was about 18 or 19 uh, 18 I think uh, with uh, a group of young people uh, in a social context who were attached to a church I started going along to these these meetings and uh, and I started uh, attending church uh, but still the Bible meant nothing to me. I never read the Bible. I was there for purely social reasons. Yeah, but God had other plans. And one day, I quite suddenly received 
an enormous urge to read the New Testament. I have no idea where that urge came from. I, I, I know now that God was beginning to open my eyes. But uh, at the time, I had no idea. I just had this tremendous urge. And uh, I, I felt so urgent about it that I, I had to borrow um, a New Testament from, from a friend uh, because I didn't have one. And I began at the first page, as you do with any book that you read, and I started reading. And as I read, the words I was reading or the facts I was reading, the birth of Christ and eventually the teaching of Christ and then the death of Christ and his resurrection, these things came home to me as, as, as true. They had the ring of truth. They had, furthermore, answers to my many questions as a teenager of what life was all about. And as I read, what was even more important, I began to feel that Jesus Christ was a real person and that he was actually there with me in the room as I read. I started talking to him first time I'd ever prayed. And as I read, my mind expanded, my understanding grew. And I saw in the pages of the New Testament, a, a, a wonderful gospel of how I was a sinner and I had rebelled against God. I had no time for God, but that how in his great grace, he had sent the Lord Jesus Christ into this world uh, in order to die upon the cross, to bear our sins, so that we should not bear the punishment or guilt of those sins. That he rose again from the dead to demonstrate that his offering to God had been accepted. As Paul puts it in uh, Romans 4, 4 verse 25, I think it is. <clears throat> um, he was delivered to death for our transgressions and raised again for our justification. And that was my experience. And I was at that time uh, a 19 year old student at the end of my first year at university. And uh, that was my conversion. And that was when I was 19. I'm now 87. So you can work out yourself how long I've been a Christian. And throughout that time, I have never once doubted the reality of God. I've never once doubted the goodness of God. I've known the power of God in my life. I've known the wisdom of God in my life. And I have had the privilege in various ways, writing books and, and preaching, of seeking to make that known to other people. So I would say, in answer to your question, if someone is seeking, I would say, read the New Testament. Pick up the New Testament. Uh, don't get put off by Matthew's um, genealogy. 
of Christ, which you come across very quickly. Uh, but read it, read it, and focus upon Christ, because that's what the Bible does. Uh, it is through him and through him alone that we come to a knowledge of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who brings us to that knowledge. And uh, Paul puts it very beautifully in um, oh. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, he says, if our gospel is hidden, it's hidden to those who are lost, in whom the God of this world, and that's Satan, has blinded the minds of those that do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of God should shine unto them. But God, who caused the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that's where you'll find God. And you'll find a, a personal relationship with God as he opens your heart to receive the truth of the gospel. Professor Andrews, thank you very much for your time. That was very touching, and it was an absolute joy to have you. And to our listeners, thank you very much for taking the time to learn with us on current topics in science, where scientific discoveries are examined in light of the origins issue you can find Professor Andrew's biography, books, and other resources on his three websites, whomadegod.org, whatisman.com, edgarandrewspodomatic.com, and you'll find his old and new podcasts in the video's description. Please share and subscribe to the Current Topics in Science podcast. It's available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Thanks again for listening, and remember, the truth saves.